Welcome and shalom to everyone to this week's ICJ webinar series. I'm David Parsons, one of the vice presidents here at the International Christian Embassy Jerusalem, coming to you from our headquarters here in the Israeli capital. We're uh, 138 days, I believe, into Israel's war with Hamas and still trying to deal with this subject. It's still dominating uh, developments here. And, but this week we want to do a Bible teaching uh, surrounding Cain and Abel, the first murder in the Bible, the story of two brothers, and the spirit of Amalek, which we identified early in this conflict as the root cause of this uh, of Hamas and this radical Islamic hatred towards Israel. And after the brutal Hamas massacre of 12,000 Israelis, kidnapping of around 250 back into Gaza, it's been very troubling and chilling to see the blatant anti-Semitism that's now being openly spouted by major world leaders and even in important international forums like the United Nations and the World Court in The Hague the, and, and other forums. And at a recent hearing, just in the last uh, week to 10 days alone, it's quite chilling, but at a recent hearing in the International uh, Court of Justice in The Hague, uh, there were senior government leaders of South Africa, their foreign minister, that falsely accused Israel of committing genocide against the Hamas, against the Palestinians in Israel's war of self-defense in Gaza. And, uh, and now recently, in the, just this week, South Africa was back before the court in another case uh, insisting that Israel's policies towards the Palestinians are a more extreme form of apartheid than what the blacks of South Africa suffered under the real apartheid regime uh, in their country. Uh, this was a, a, a disgrace to and, and really mocks the, the pain and the suffering of the blacks in South Africa under the apartheid regime to make this charge. Uh, and you've had United Nations officials, senior officials, this Francesca Albanese, who was a special rapporteur for the UN on the Palestinian territories. She recently insisted that the victims of October uh, 7 were not killed because of their Judaism, but it was in response to Israel's oppression. This is a UN official. Another senior UN official, Martin Griffiths, He's her, uh, head of uh, um, the UN's humanitarian aid and response uh, worldwide, has many uh, conflicts to deal with. But he insisted that Hamas is not a terrorist organization for us, meaning for the UN. It is a political movement. He had to backtrack a little on this, but it's just chilling and very troubling how these even senior high UN officials uh, you come out with, with these anti-Semitic and anti-Israel statements so freely and openly. And to top it all off, this week we had uh, the president of Brazil, Lula da Silva. Uh, he was at a press conference at a summit of the African Union in Addis Ababa in, in Ethiopia, uh, invited there as a guest observer. 
but he told the, the press there that what's happening in the Gaza Strip isn't a war, it's a genocide. It's a war between a highly prepared army and women and children. What's happening in the Gaza Strip with the Palestinian people hasn't happened at any other moment in history. This is amazing what he said. And he says he ended it. Actually, it has happened when Hitler decided to kill the Jews. Here is the president of Brazil uh, comparing what Israel is doing, an act of self-defense when, the, when they face massacres and kidnapping them, rapes and mutilations on October 7, and they respond in self-defense, that he says it's just like when Hitler decided to kill the Jews who were defenseless and never did anything to the Nazis to deserve what happened to them. And despite facing a lot of pushback uh, from other world leaders, uh, Lula da Silva has been backed up and endorsed by some other fellow uh, Latin American leaders, leftist presidents, Marcus presidents from Brazil and Colombia just in the last few days. Uh, Colombian leader Gustavo Petro tweeted that in Gaza there is a genocide and thousands of children, women, and elderly civilians are cowardly murdered. Lula has only spoken the truth, and truth must be defended, or barbarism will annihilate us. So he really needs to be afraid of Israel. This is crazy. Meanwhile, a Bolivia's president, he just got elected. They used to have a conservative president, but now they, you know, they, they sort of always flirt with these uh, leftist Marxists. But uh, Bolivia's current president, uh, Luis Arce, uh, he agreed with Lula, that he was merely telling the truth about the genocide that's committed against the brave Palestinian people. History will not forgive those who are indifferent to this barbarity. And what's so chilling and troubling and shocking about all this is that these are professional uh, bureaucrats and administrators at the UN and people who hold high office in different countries, and they've managed to achieve positions of great power, and you can only do that through self-discipline. You have to have a lot of self-control and discipline in your life over a long period, over a long career, to achieve positions like this where people trust you with the reins of power. And yet suddenly, all these people, the UN officials, these presidents of countries, the the whole uh, ANC government in South Africa, all of a sudden they cannot seem to hold back their tongues from spewing forth these outrageous, hateful statements against the Jewish nation and people. And you have to wonder, how do we account for these outbursts of anti-Semitism and anti-Israel vitriol? Sometimes they'll, they'll back down, but other times they double down uh, as, as has happened in, in recent days. And uh, it's, it's, it's mystifying how anti-Semitism, which is considered the, the world's oldest hatred, how it's persisted for so long. And it's, it's troubling how after the Holocaust, it's managed to resurface and remold itself and come out in new forms and and is as rampant as ever. Some say it's as bad as it was 
in the 1930s in Germany that we're getting to that point. And somehow it seems to be, uh, it's a mystery how it's uniting radical Muslims who believe in a god of war uh, and, and, and are bloodthirsty to kill people of other religions and all, and somehow they're uniting in the same bed, hand-in-hand, uh, hand with radical Marxists today. And how are we to understand this? And we're going to get into uh, Cain, the story of Cain and Abel, and the spirit of Amalek. Now, ever since the um, October 7 terror attacks, we've identified uh, the spirit of Amalek as the root cause of this incessant Palestinian hatred and violence against uh, the Jewish state of Israel, against the Jewish people, and particularly uh, with Hamas, what they teach, this radical Islamic vision of world conquest beginning with the eradication of the Jews as a prophetic fulfillment of Quranic uh, prophecies or, or early traditions, Hadiths of Islam. And you might ask, well, what is this spirit of Amalek? We did a whole playlist, uh, we did a whole series of teachings uh, on the spirit of Amalek. Our, our president, Dr. Jurgen Bueller, and myself. Uh, it's on a playlist on YouTube. If you go to our official YouTube channel for the ICEJ, uh, you can find that. But just to give you a, a, a short recap, uh, Amalek was a grandson of Esau. And of course, Esau is uh, this biblical figure in the book of Genesis who lost both uh, his birthright and the blessing of the firstborn to his younger twin brother, Jacob. And even though uh, Jacob and Esau reconciled at the end of the day, the, Jacob wrestled with an angel, and, and the next day uh, Esau was, was coming uh, towards him with 400 armed men, but uh, by the next morning after wrestling with an, an angel, it says in the Bible that Jacob is standing there, and his brother Esau, it's Esau who lost the birthright, lost the blessing. It's him who comes and runs to Jacob and embraces him and kisses him on the neck, and they're there reconciling in tears. And even though Esau accepted that he had lost the birthright and blessing and that God had given him lands and blessings and territories, uh, it was his grandson Amalek the grandson of Esau, who never accepted the loss of his family's inheritance. And this burning uh, hatred, it later provoked the descendants of Amalek, the Amalekite people, to, first of all, they attacked the Israelites coming out of Egypt in the Exodus. Uh, it, they had to come a long way to attack them at Rephidim. I mean, it, this is an envy and a hatred of their cousins, the Israelites, that the Amaleks went way out of their way to come and attack them. And it's the story of, of um, Moses as Joshua is fighting the Amalekites. Moses has his hands up and Aaron and her are holding up his hands, a picture of, of uh, the spiritual battle you and I are waging to help Israel in this current war. Later, the Amalekites are coming against Israel 
in the story of Saul and how he lost the kingship because he didn't kill Agog, the king of the Amalekites. And later we have the Amalekites coming and raiding David's camp at Ziklon and taking away Luth and and his wives and all. And David had to strengthen himself and go back and recover all that he had, including the people who were taken hostage. Sounds a lot like today. And in fact, it happened in the very same area where the October 7 massacres and hostage taking occurred. And finally, we have the Jews exiled into Persia uh, in the book of Esther, uh, where Haman is a member of the royal family of Agog, who was this king of the Amalekites back in the story of Saul and Samuel. And so it's this ancient rivalry of the Amalekites, this burning jealousy and hatred. That's the spirit of Amalek, who never accepted that Israel got the primary birthright and blessing of being the vehicle for world redemption. Very precious to hold on to. Jacob appreciated Esau didn't, lost it, but he accepted it, but his grandson never did. And it's been plaguing the Jewish people ever since. This is this burning hatred and jealousy towards Israel uh, has infected many peoples and many generations. And God even says, um, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. So uh, whether we like it or not, the Jewish people have to face this sort of spirit of jealousy and envy uh, because of their election uh, by God and the blessing of God that's upon him for the purpose of redeeming the world. I mean, we should appreciate it and love it and esteem them and, uh, and respect them, but it causes a different reaction in so many people and anti-Semitism, the spirit of Amalek, has persisted all these generations. And uh, the spirit of Amalek arose out of a classic case of a sibling rivalry. And some philosophers have identified sibling rivalry as the root cause of all violence. It's an interesting thesis. You think of Russia and Ukraine they're actually like a brotherly people. They, they always knew each other and were friends and, and whatever, and now they're fighting to the death in Russia and Ukraine. Very, very tragic. Um, but, you know, sibling rivalries have, have been the root cause, at least, of a lot of uh, violence between humans. And, in fact, when you go to the book of Genesis, you actually find that sibling rivalry is a major theme throughout the book of Genesis, this introductory book of the Bible. And we first see it uh, in the life of uh, the Hebrew patriarch, the first patriarch, Abraham, how he had two sons that became rivals. Ishmael uh, Ishmael was the older, Isaac the younger. Uh, Their mothers, Sarah and and Hagar, uh, also clashed as well several times. There were tensions the tensions between Jacob and Esau, uh, and of course the the jealousy between Joseph and his 11 brothers who sold him into slavery, and later he was the deliverer for them when there was a famine in Egypt. Uh, and even their their mothers, the Rachel and Leah, had this uh, duel between them and <laughs> expressing it in who could have the most children for uh, Jacob. And um, 
when you see uh, all these instances of sibling rivalries in the Bible and even uh, matriarchal rivalries, uh, most of the, the brotherly rivalries that are told about in Genesis, it, 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 you know, it wants us to understand them, to be careful of them, to you know, have family uh, um, peace within our families. Uh, but it, most of these cases of sibling rivalry in, in the Bible, Isaac and Ishmael came together and buried their father Abraham, the Bible says. So they were able to come together in the end and accept what each had received through father Abraham. Jacob and Esau, as we said, they were able to do the same, reconciling Joseph and his brothers, this beautiful picture where they're weeping in each other's arms when they realize when Joseph reveals himself as their brother and their deliverer from famine and any troubles uh, there in Egypt. So the Bible, uh, I- even though it alerts us and warns us about the, the potential violence and hatred and jealousies and roots of bitterness that can arise from these uh, sibling rivalries within the families, it leaves a hopeful message that all these things can be reconciled and overcome. But Amalek was an exception. He was the grandson of Esau who never accepted the, the, the way his family lost the inheritance and the blessing and the birthright to his, uh, his cousins, the descendants of, of Jacob. And uh, this festering jealousy and hatred against the, their Israelite cousins has lasted to this day. Hamas uh, would be considered descendants. A lot of the Arabs descended. Not all Arabs agree with it. Many Arabs have and are reconciling with Israel and each of them's respective place as sons of Abraham, the Abraham Accords and, and Israel's peace treaties that, that uh, the Arab leaders of Jordan and Egypt have honored to some uh, degree. You don't always have to agree with it, but in many people it festers to the point where Hamas came over and, and uh, killed and raped and murdered and mutilated with glee uh, because of this hatred. And uh, we also find uh, important lessons in the very first uh, instance of a sibling rivalry in the Bible. This is found in the book of Genesis chapter 4, which also ends in tragedy just like uh, Amalek and the way he let that root of bitterness take hold in his later generations. Uh, And we see this in the story of Cain when he slew his brother Abel. Uh, And this is a story that actually, it's a short passage. There are some details, but it, it just seems a little short on some details. But it's very rich in meaning and in its warnings to us, very profound about even the nature of sin and temptation for all of us. There are lessons here. Uh, but also, ultimately, it's also a lesson in why Hamas so viciously attacked the Jewish people on October 7. So we'll start looking at Genesis chapter 4 now. Now, as we look at Genesis chapter 4 about Cain and Abel, it says uh, Adam and Eve, they've been kicked out of the garden. 
They uh, finally, they knew each other and started bearing children. Cain was born first. Uh, his name means possession. Eve says, I have acquired or possessed a man from the Lord, a son from the Lord. Then she bore uh, Abel, uh, and Abel means breath. And as they grew off, uh, Abel became a keeper of sheep. He was a shepherd. And Cain was a tiller of the ground. Quite interesting, this word is, is from Genesis 2. There was no man to till the ground yet. And, uh, and also in Genesis 3 and all it continues, it, it means that you're a servant of the ground, a farmer, someone who, who serves or works the ground. Um, and in time, uh, they both offered sacrifices to God, I guess, uh, uh, Adam and Eve, whatever. Uh, this is why I say it's a little short on details, but they knew they needed to worship the Creator God and offer sacrifices to Him. And it says that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord, uh, and Abel brought uh, he offered the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. It means the best, the choice, the firstborn of his flock. And it says that the Lord respected Abel and his offering. It's both respecting Abel and the offering. It's very important that God actually honors the person as well as the sacrifice and here this word respected means he looked upon it. He looked upon it with favor. It, it means that Abel got, uh, he got God's attention in the right way. But, he, but the Lord did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry and its countenance fell. So the Lord uh, sees that that Cain is stewing in anger over this, and often sibling rivalries, the nature of them, are, are that, you know, you've got two brothers, let's say, and they're both trying to please the father, and the father uh, favors one over the other, and the other uh, uh, son is jealous of it and takes it out on the son. He, he's, he's upset with the father, but he takes it out on the son, and we see that dynamic playing out here, God has not respected Cain's offering in the same way that he has is Abel. And Abel is angry, he's upset with this, but he wants to take it out on his brother. This is the, the whole moral of the story here. And so the Lord sees this seething anger inside of Cain, and he comes to him to give him a warning. Thank God, you know, God cares about us. And he sees these things, and he comes to try and help us. He says, why are you angry? It means a, like a burning uh, um, outburst, just ready to blow up. Why are you angry? Why has your countenance fell? If you do well, meaning if you do the right thing, will you not be accepted? Will you not win my favor? Will you not get my attention in the right way? And if you do not do well, and very important words, sin lies at the door and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. And uh, th these are very important words because it's very important for us as Christians, especially to know how sin works, how temptations work, and how 
to overcome. God sees this anger seething in Cain, and he says, what's in you, if you don't get control of it, it's going to boil over one day because sin is lying right around the corner, and it's crouching like a lion that wants to pounce upon you. You, you don't know when it's going to, to come upon you. And where it says its desire is for you, in the original Hebrew, this is the same word that's used a couple chapters earlier, the chapter before, where God says to Adam, your desire shall be for your wife, the woman, Eve. Uh, and it's basically talking about that natural lust or craving, the sex drive, the, uh, the drive in a man for a woman, a woman for a, a man. But it's almost, it says that sin, it has this animalistic lust or craving for you. It's sitting around the corner ready to pounce and, and panting for you and I. That's, this is the warning that God gives to Cain, but the Bible has recorded it for all of us to realize that in God's eyes, sin is serious. It has consequences. We need to be aware of it. We need to be on guard. The Bible says in Hebrew in the New Testament that um, uh, we need to lay aside the sin that so easily ensnares us means it entraps you all around, but God also, he's faithful, and he always gives a way of escape. Amen, hallelujah. But he says to, to Cain, this thing is burning inside you, and if you're not careful, you're going to have a moment of weakness where it's going to rise up in you and burn in you so much that you're going to do something to sin, which means an offense, either against God or against someone else, another person. And he says, you better rule over it. You better get some self-control over this. Now, uh, Cain wasn't able to control it. He went and had a conversation, it says, with his brother. They went walking in the field, and Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. That anger, it rose up in him, and he found that moment. He couldn't resist it. He couldn't control it. And we have the first murder in the Bible. And uh, so Cain uh, failed this test of gaining control over this and understanding the nature of sin and its desire to get us in trouble with God and on God's wrong side. It's one thing to offer a sacrifice that may not be so pleasing to God. It's another to fall into sin and, and uh, which God wants to lash out at. That's something uh, even more different. But Cain let this fire of jealousy rise up within him to the point that he murdered his own brother. And the story of Cain and Abel was actually the first religious war in human history. In the Bible and in human history, this first murder, it was actually a religious war, a war over who was offering the better sacrifice, who had the right path to God, who was pleasing God more. And, and Cain struck his brother Abel because Abel had worshiped God in the right way and gained his attention and favor. Uh, he, he should have known, even from his parents, that when they sinned, that they put 
aprons of uh, fig leaves upon them to cover their nakedness and shame. But God came along and says, that's not sufficient. And he slew an animal. He shed blood in order to make a, say, um, skin loincloth for them and to put them on them, to clothe them. And the, the lesson is, as the Bible says, there, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. Cain could have come along and bartered some of his crops, his corn or his squash or sweet potatoes, whatever he was growing. He could have offered some to his brother Abel in exchange for a nice choice sheep to then offer uh, up to God just as Abel had done. But he, re he refused to do it. He didn't do it, and he let sin overtake him. And we have all these religions today that believe they offer the right path to God, the right way to please God, the right way to worship him. You know, Islam and, and, you know, we can even say within Christianity, but you've got all these other religions that say we have a better way to worship God, a better path to God. Uh, believe me, Islam believes it is superior to all other religions, especially uh, um, uh, Judaism and Christianity. When they say Alu Akbar, it actually means Allah, their God, is greater than other gods, meaning the God of the Jews and the God of the Christians. So don't let anyone tell you any different. They are, every time they say it, they are saying Islam, our worship, our path to God is better and superior to any other person's path. Um, but we have to accept, just as Esau came and eventually accepted, or Ishmael eventually accepted, that God has the right of sovereign election. God the Father, and us as, as brothers, humans, whatever, God chose the Jewish people for the uh, purpose of world redemption. And he did it through Abraham, through Isaac, through Jacob. In the customs of the day, it would have normally been the firstborn who received the blessing and the birthright. But over and over in Genesis, as these sibling rivalries arise, God chooses often the second and even thirdborn because he's looking for who's going to have faith and who's going to appreciate this birthright more. And, and it's just his right of election. This is affirmed in the New Testament uh, by Paul in Romans, Jacob I loved, Esau I hated, while they were still in the womb because God already knew the choices they'd make and that Esau would not appreciate this promise handed down from I, uh, Abraham to Isaac to them, uh, the, uh, the promise of world redemption and the promise of the Messiah and bringing the light and knowledge of God and his forgiveness and his love to us all. Uh, God gave this to the Jewish people. They became stewards of this incredible revelation of God and his love for us and his, his plan to redeem us through the Messiah, the ultimate blood sacrifice. It took a human sacrifice to really pay the price for humanity's sins and the blood of, of sheep and goats and animals and bulls up to that time just allowed God to forgive them for another year and another year, and you had to keep sacrificing. But Jesus came and died once and for all time 
for our sins. And uh, this passed down from, you know, to the second-born Isaac, to the second-born Jacob, to the third-born Judah, and we have to respect God's election. Uh, but this created jealousies along the way, other, uh, among other family members who felt they should have gotten the inheritance, should have been theirs rightfully, and it eventually gave us this cruel legacy of the spirit of Amalek, where Islam today, it's a people that also consider themselves, came out of the Arab people who also consider themselves natural sons of Abraham, who should have got this land. Hamas says Israel and the Jews shouldn't have the land. It, it needs to be for Islam and for, for the Arab, the Palestinian people. This is the spirit of Amalek, a spirit of jealousy that says we have a superior religion. It's not really Israel that gets the birthright to the land. It's, it's us. And this burning je religious jealousy against the election, sovereign election of God of, of Israel, it later attached itself, spirit of Amalek, attached itself to Christianity, producing generations of Christians who were convinced they had replaced Israel as God's favored sons. And thankfully, uh, there are many Christians like us today who have been freed from that spirit of envy. I am confident in my election from God. The Holy Spirit bears witness with my spirit that I am a child of God. I'm a son of God. And, and I have complete confidence in it to the point that I don't have to get jealous over God's enduring election over Israel. Uh, I don't have to deny it. I don't have to say, you know, who's superior or whatever. God has his election and purposes over Israel. It's affirmed in the New Testament. Paul says the uh, calling and election of God over Israel is irrevocable. It cannot be revoked. It cannot be voided. And, and so all those Christian teachings that it was, it was actually coming out of this spirit of jealousy and saying, we have the right path to God. We're the true sons. The birthright is ours. All the blessings are ours. All the curses upon Israel now. And we placed, uh, replaced Israel as God's favored people in the earth. But sadly, that spirit of Amalek also attached itself to Islam from its exception. It was probably birthed out of a similar uh, jealousy towards uh, the Jewish people, but also towards Christianity. Islam, from the start, uh, Muhammad presented it as a superior revelation of God than what the Jews or the Christians had there in the Arabian Peninsula. Therefore, it, they, it was a superior religion, and they were a, the, the followers of Muhammad were a superior people. And today, it is producing radical Muslim terrorists all around the world, not just here in the land, some of them marching in the streets of our capitals all over the world that are rising up in a, in a jealous anger and, and declaring, we want to eradicate the Jews, or the, the slogan uh, from the river to the sea, Palestine shall be free. That is a call to genocide. That is a call to wipe out or ethnically cleanse the land of Israel from the Jewish people who are indigenous to this land and to try and erase them.
just as Cain rose up rather than offering, finding a way to do the right thing and offer a proper sacrifice to God, uh, he rose up and, and eliminated the problem. He, he killed uh, Abel, and this is what Islam is trying to do. And when we look at their strange and mystifying partnership, this coming together of radical Islam and radical Marxism, this red-green alliance in our day, a lot of these marches in London, in the U.S., in, in Paris, in all these countries, if you go out to them, there are a lot of like white Europeans, white Westerners there, and they're all holding signs that at the top they will say uh, 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 socialists, the workers united, or uh, they, they're leftists, they're far leftists out there marching with the Muslims. And you'd have to say that Marxism even though it, it presents itself as anti-religion, that religion is the opener of the masses, it has become a religion unto itself, willing to eradicate, you know, wanting and seeking to eradicate all other faiths for uh, its, it, really its worship of, of uh, uh, the hum humanity. And uh, it's uh, sought to eradicate uh, anyone who has, particularly those who have faith in the God of the Bible. For some reason, they're not so interested in the Muslims right now and their belief in, in a one God. But you look at the communist revolutions in Russia, in the Soviet Union, in China, elsewhere, they have wiped out tens of millions of believers in the God of the Bible and and forcefully sought to impose their atheism, uh, and it's it's you know they say that uh, religions are the cause of all wars. No, it, radical Marxism, communism, ha, ha, in in Russia and China and the Soviet Union, and China and some of these other instances where Marxism has taken over other countries, they have wiped out ten times as many as as Christianity or Judaism or whatever over the last 150 years or so. You, you can add it up. There's a professor in uh, University of Hawaii who has a website that sort of keeps track of all these things, and it's quite shocking. It's like 250 million uh, killed uh, to achieve Marxist goals in the world in the last 150 years or so. And... Uh, it's no wonder then that the radical Islamists and these radical Marxists are, re, are uniting around this anti-Semitic hatred and envy of the Jewish people. And rather than do the right thing, they, they would rather eliminate Abel, eliminate the Jews. And this is a, a real challenge in uh, our day. We need to be praying about this. We need to be aware of it. And uh, um, we really need to be fighting this anti-Semitism and, and shaming these people because it's just so bizarre and, and so troubling that here are world leaders who only achieve positions through self-control and self-discipline that somehow these outrageous claims that Israel and the Jewish people defending themselves today are just as bad as Hitler, if not worse. And this is what they're saying. And for the Jewish people, it, 
it doesn't matter whether they defend themselves or don't defend themselves. This spirit is trying to kill them. So Israel might as well defend itself. They might as well, and thank God for the IDF. But we also need to be praying for God to defend this nation. The Lord says, I will have war with Amalek from generation to generation. It's up to God to preserve this people, to get to allow that blessing upon them, that favor upon them as still elect of God to complete their purpose in the earth. He will do it. He has promised to do it. We can be confident in it. But as we worship him, as we bring a right sacrifice to him and approach him through the veil of the sacrifice of Jesus, the veil of his flesh, may we really intercede for Israel and the Jewish people against this demonic spirit of Amalek in our day. God bless you from Jerusalem. If uh, you're watching this live, uh, stay tuned at the top of the hour, 4 o'clock here, Israel time. We have our daily global prayer gathering. You can join Christians from all over the world in praying for Israel. And we'll see you next week on the ICEJ webinar series.